to another episode of Setting the Tone in ER Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we're discussing Season 8, Episode 11, which is titled Beyond Repair. The episode aired on January 10th, 2001. Lauren, what was going on that week 21 years ago? I freaked out when I realized we were in 2002 already. That that blew me up last night while we were watching this. But uh, actress Winona Ryder is arrested for allegedly shoplifting five shoplifting five thousand five hundred dollars worth of clothing from a Saks Fifth Avenue department store in Los Angeles, California. After being convicted of multiple felonies stemming from the event, Ryder was sentenced to three years of probation, four hundred and eighty hours of community service. $3,500 in fines, $6,355 in, in restitution to Saks, and ordered to attend therapy and drug counseling. I remember this being huge. I remember yeah. it being a big deal, but I don't remember the, the nitty-gritty details, so I'm assuming she was on she was having drug problems at the time. I don't know. I, I feel like I remember some reading somewhere or something that, like, it was, it was more about, like, mental health stuff and... Mm -hmm. um, you know, other associated things more so than necessarily drugs. Uh, but we weren't ready to talk about those things as a society in 2002. So it was much easier to just go, ah, look she's at, you know, look, look at this failed trash. child star. Yeah. I'm so glad she's made a comeback with Stranger Things. She did. She's so fucking good. I'm I sorry. Uh, but Time Magazine names New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani as their person of the year for his leadership of the city in the wake of the September 11th attacks. Remember when we all liked him? Look, look up Fumble the Bag in the dictionary and you will see a giant bloated picture of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, because my man could do no wrong at this point. Like he, yeah. he basically could have walked into the presidency probably in 2004 if W wasn't running again, and somehow in just like what six short years he manages to turn himself into just like a complete joke that like makes no impression whatsoever in the 2008 Republican primary. Ah. Uh... President George W. Bush signs the controversial No Child Left Behind Act into law. Basically, it mandates that that it basically standardizes tests like across. That's the, what it across, was. Like every yeah. state still has their own individual thing, but every school in that state uses that same standardized test. And, and it if, ties into and if X amount of if X amount of students don't pass, then you get a warning. And if X amount of students don't pass the next year, you get. You, uh, you, some of your teachers get replaced or whatever. Like it's over like course of a few years. I'm shortening it, but but it eventually you. leads to you not getting nearly nearly as much federal funding because you know what's the best idea is to help to help struggling cut schools? their funding. Yeah, cut their funding. That's not how that works. And fire everyone. That's not and, how that and works. have and have teachers teaching to the test rather than yep. teaching concepts and. Yep. life skills and all the other stuff they literally would teach and th uh, this even bled into like you know like lizzie and i are about the same age like we were we were middle school age at this point so like even before we graduated high school just a few years after this it had already started to like bleed its way into our education mm -hmm. i can't even imagine for the people who were you know four five six years younger than us who were just starting their um you know school careers like this would have been your entire experience basically uh, I remember it for most of mine. Yeah. 
It's yeah, just, so well, you're just, just a baby. I know, I'm just a baby. But yeah, uh, thank you, because I was like, I know that sounds really familiar, but I was young enough that like, I don't know what it is. Guys, I'm a baby. Um, I say as I turn 31 this year. But anyway, singer, songwriter, Billy Eilish. Billy Eilish. Thank you. Shows how hip I am. Uh, singer, songwriter, Billy Eilish was born on December 18th. Eilish, whose hit song Bad Guy took the world by storm in 2019, has so far released two albums and is currently on the road for her sixth headlining tour. Wild. Fuck. I'm so old. Right, I know. That's all I can think of. Just like, oh, God. I love her stuff, but I'm so old. Uh, Yeah, she's great. Movies released over the holiday break include Vanilla Sky, Ocean's Eleven, A Beautiful Mind, Not Another Teen Movie, and The Royal Tenenbaums. After making its stateside debut, though, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, is on its third week in the top spot at the box office. There you go. Everyone's a nerd like you. I remember uh, the first pay-per-view movie we ever ordered at my dad's house was The Royal Tenenbaums. I was 11. No, I was ten. Choice. And I only put not another scene movies because we won't because we've been watching the MCU MCU movies again and Baby Chris Evans. Baby Chris <laughs> Evans is that the one that he has the whipped cream on himself yep. for? Yeah. Okay. Um, iconic. But then to Daniel's chagrin, how you remind me by Nickelback is your new number one song. We okay. already had him hang up the Zoom call once because <laughs> we were serenading him. With what I we just, could remember of the song, because it's been like there, over a couple decades since I've heard it. Oh, it's been like three weeks. I mean, what? what? This this whole headline section is basically just one large cry for help. Like, Winona Ryder, <laughs> she's in a rough spot. She's crying out for help. Time Magazine, Rudy, Rudy Giuliani's your man of the year? Really? That sounds like a cry for help. Like, fucking Nickelback. Like, is there any more emblematic choice for... America's in a strange place right now than fucking Nickelback's uh, ascension to the number one spot on the charts. I just, uh, and I don't even, like, I don't like shitting on Nickelback because I feel like it's trite at this point. Like, it's, everyone does it. But then I heard this song again, and I just am like, (sighs) like, of all the songs that we've had on the number one song list, playlist, this is the only one that I've wanted to, like, put put it to a vote to be like, can we just skip this one? I'll say it again. I don't hate Nickelback. Just put it on there. Just it's it already on there. It's already done. But I just, uh, I'm not happy about it is the point. So, Daniel, for your own sanity, what else was on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode, the one where Joey dates Rachel. Um, the little bit I know about the uh, Friends fandom, I know that this is uh, considered something of a cursed pairing. So uh, they were having, again, cry for help. Everybody's doing it. Uh, at 8.30, we had a Will and Grace rerun. At 9, Will and Grace with the new episode, Whoa Nelly. And at 9.30, Just Shoot Me with the episode, Nina Van Mom. This week's episode had 25.4 million viewers tuning in, directed by Alan J. Levy, doing his first out of only two uh, other series that he has de- uh Directed for in multiple episodes include NCIS, JAG, and Columbo. Uh, and written by the team of Jack Orman, doing his 22nd out of 28. Uh, previous ones of his from this season include Partly Cloudy, Chance of Rain, The Longer You Stay, and Four Corners. And our man R. Scott Gemmel doing his 11th out of 32. Previous ones of his from this season include If I Should Fall From Grace and Blood Sugar, Sex, Magic, and No Romano this week. No jalapeno for you. No spice. But we have a previously on brought to us by Abby, and we go to Abby waking up 
hearing her neighbors arguing through the walls. What a beautiful way to start the day. Um, as she's getting ready, her phone rings and Maggie is on the machine to wish her a happy birthday. So today's a happy birthday for Abby. Let's see how this goes. It can only go well, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> then we go over to the best thing in this episode. In gayer news. Uh, Sandy runs over to turn the oven on to get some coffee going. At least this is what I thought she was doing based on the two seconds she runs out of bed and goes back. Yeah. Jumps back into bed and puts her feet on Carrie to wake her up. And Carrie yells in bed because her feet are cold. And it's very cute, and Sandy teases her for snoring, and this is the best thing ever is them snuggling and being adorable. Can we just have an hour of this? Please. Arguably my favorite scene of them. Because <laughs> it's just so, it's so it's unbelievably pure. pure and cute and unproblematic. And, and I Carrie it. just looks so happy and relaxed. Mm. Yeah. Which we never get anymore. But uh, then we see Carter has arranged a nurse's aide for Gamma at the house. Uh, Eleanor, Mama Carter has shown up, and when she shows up, Gamma goes, is it just me or is it freezing in here? And we hear Jack, Papa Carter, is apparently in Kansas City, and uh, it's like, this is right after the holidays, so did she not know he was gone already? Like, just, what? why are they missing each other? We already know that they're getting separated, so what's she doing? Gamma's visible contempt for Eleanor yes. is just so good. One of one of my favorite things. So good. And then we go back to Abby. She's headed out of the apartment when uh, she runs into her neighbors complaining about the cold and a busted car. And oh, hi, Christina Hendricks. Uh, yeah, uh, the neighbors here, uh, Joyce and Brian, we will find out their names are. Uh, Joyce, of course, is played by the imminently recognizable uh, Christina Hendricks, who appears in stuff like Ginger and Rosa, The Neon Demon, and of course, second week in a row, shout out to the Innocent ladies, uh, Mad Men, Joan on Mad Men. Uh, and and she's the making episodes of Firefly. Sure. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Didn't watch it. Uh, first of four appearances for Joyce here. And then Brian, the husband, he's played by actor Matthew Settle, who appeared in stuff like I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, the Eric Palladino starring vehicle U571, and Band of Brothers. And he is making his first of five appearances, so he gets one more than Joyce. Uh, well, Joyce asked Abby to come over for coffee sometime, and they just moved to Chicago right in the dead of winter, apparently. Um, and it's a snow-slash-ultra-cold episode. Yay. Lizzie's favorite. Uh, we go into the intro, in with bangs, uh, the Benton punch, gone but not forgotten. Uh, we, we hardly knew ye. Uh, we come out of the intro to Carter's mom is going to the pediatric luncheon in place of Gamma, and Carter is shocked that she's going to be staying in the house. Uh, he corrects her on her story, says dad is actually in Denver, and uh, says maybe uh, you thought that he was still here, and that's why you're here. And she says that we left it a little open-ended, and I forgot how much I hate Carter's mom viscerally. Like, I, like, like I knew that, I knew that she was, like, not great, but... I wasn't prepared for how much I was going to dislike her as I do in this episode. So yeah, we will get into all of that. Uh, but for now we get our first patient coming in, a man found in a dumpster. Uh, Susan's out to the ambulance bay to meet him. Uh, Frank's bringing in Krispy Kremes and celebrating the cold because it means things are slow, <laughs> which is, I do like that. We're starting to we're ever so slightly starting to creep into more of the like Frank, 
centric era of things, which is crazy because like in just a handful of episodes, Jerry's going to be back, which means that like not only not only are we going to get that tandem, which is great, but it means that we never really got a solo Frank desk clerk era like he's been here for, you know, a season and a half now and really hasn't been able to do that much. So it's interesting to me that like it's not really until Jerry comes back that we get those two going like full throttle. A petition to have Troy Evans come back on the show and hang out just for like sh- shooting the shit about Frank and Jerry <laughs> nonsense. Just throwing it out uh, there. Just both of them together is what I want. Both of that them together. That would be together. the dream. Oh, oh. boy. Uh, but yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and I love his line here too. This is what we get for <laughs> punching holes in the ozone layer. Which is not a line you would expect from Frank. It's apparently 40 below. That's exactly it. It's like 20 years ago, maybe. If somebody were a Frank today, absolutely not. Right, absolutely not. Uh, The patient here is uh, delightfully known as Icicle Andy. uh, And we also hear mention that the furnace is not working in the ER at the moment. Always fun on the Sub-Zero days. Uh, We're going to Andy's trauma. And they need to warm him up with some warm saline blankets, you know, the standard fare. And uh, Abby accidentally snaps one of his fingers off trying to get a pulse ox on. And just, uh, I like, I wanted to, I almost wanted to throw up a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. But just, just the concept of good, good God. Yep. Uh, but Lauren? Whose films are those? Uh, But then a little boy walks into the trauma room and his mom was apparently in there, but she isn't now. And the kid's name is Douglas Lehman, uh, who was played by. Played by child actor Matt Weinberg, who appeared in uh, stuff like The Benchwarmers, uh, The Hot Chick. Apparently just made a little bit of a career out of appearing in shitty Rob Schneider movies. I say shitty Rob Schneider movies as if there's any other kind. Uh, And uh, the original X-Men. Interesting. Uh, Abby takes him aside to help him out and takes him over to Frank, who offers him a donut. I want a donut from Frank. <laughs> Can I offer you a donut in this trying time? Okay, he played Tommy. That's fucking helpful. Um, so anyway, <laughs> I'm sure if I watched X-Men, I'd be like, oh yeah, that fucking kid. But Luca is dealing with a woman who's having chest pain. She's had a cold and flu for the last few days, but got worse today. She got up and fainted. Uh, she's been taking fertility drugs for the last 10 days. We, we learn there's some fluid in her lungs, and she's having the baby on her own. No husband or boyfriend. She just decided that it was time. She wanted to have a kid by herself because she wasn't going to wait around for the right man to show up. Uh, Abby then says she hasn't seen Luca around. They run into each other. Okay. They do the holiday small talk, and we learn Luca is going to Bosnia for Doctors Without Borders to help out. For a change of scenery. Is Doctors is Doctors Without Borders the the pretense that they use for them to do the Africa episode stuff too? I believe so. It is, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we see Frank and Douglas munching on donuts. Mark shows up complaining about the cold. It is fifty six degrees inside. Um, Mark says, uh, "Cold didn't kill the dinosaurs. Cholesterol did." As they're eating their donuts. And he found a a lighter in Rachel's jeans. He tells Lizzie about it, and he's going to search her room. This will be fine. He's weighing it. I'm not sure if he decides he he, he wants to. He tells Lizzie by the end of this conversation he's going to, pretty much. Uh, But then we see a uh, 29-year-old male 
comes in from an eight-foot fall with no loss of consciousness. I don't really know if we go very far with this patient, but it's mentioned as a distraction for Mark to get pulled away from the conversation. Yeah. And he's uh, clearly inspired to search her room. He's getting real. He's feeling really youthful, vibrant, and strong with that stupid hat that he's wearing. <laughs> that, like yes. that, that like way too young for you, bro. Hat that he's wearing. Yep. But but hey guys, hey guys. What? Guess who's back? Uh. Back again. Uh. Chen is back. Tell a friend. Hey guys, Chen is back. Uh, let's listen in to her and Carter at the mall. <laughs> This is adorable. Don't you think? It's pretty cute. <laughs> Don't want to buy it? No, they won't let me send them any gifts. He must be getting pretty big now, huh? Yeah. Oh, they sent a video of him walking just before Christmas. <laughs> it won't be long now before he's asking to borrow the keys to the car. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. You know, I'm starting to wonder if I'm making any right decisions lately. Uh, it's mid-year. Some will open up by the spring. Yeah, well, maybe they'll open back up the county. Hey, right, cool. You see these? These are really neat. John, um, what would you say if I told you I asked the waitress at Dr. Goose if she remembered we were being paged the night we lost the morphine case? I'd say that place is full of people with pagers. I know. I was desperate. So what, she didn't remember? Not about Weaver getting paged. But she remembers Weaver coming back in, looking for her pager, and finding it in the bathroom. She couldn't answer my page, John, because she didn't have her pager. Are you sure? I believe it. Don't you? Yeah, that explains it. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I don't know, but that music in the background was so distracting when it's an <laughs> audio-only clip. That's fair. Also, it's supposed to be, like, after the holidays, and, like, there's still, like, Christmas trees and a bunch of sometimes, stuff. Sometimes malls take a little bit to take that stuff I was down. Gonna I say. But, I like, feel like it was, like, only... in the stores. I feel like that's only gotten worse uh, as the years have gone on. Like, my park across the street from my apartment building like they they put up christmas lights sometime in like late october early november they usually don't come down they're still up right now and they usually don't come down until like late march maybe early april so it's yeah <laughs> it, it, the, the christmas also, bleed has pe- only gotten worse they want to give people some just ho- some ch- holiday cheer maybe so whatever a little bit they can just in the in the dog days of winter but yeah, uh, I'm sorry. I was also distracted by when Carter goes, oh, cool. Have you seen one of these? And it's the freaking like, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe, like the accordion yeah. balls. I don't, yeah, I don't know what you call them. but Connects yeah. balls? I don't know. But I was just like, oh, that's an immediate core memory unlocked was how fucking those were everywhere. Yeah, I wonder if those were a new toy around that time because I feel like I don't remember seeing them until I was around that age. Like until I, So maybe they were like kind of a new toy in the early 2000s, late 90s. Um I was like, didn't really remember this scene and didn't remember, you know, didn't remember how they brought Chen back. And so for a brief moment when I was watching the episode for notes, I I did have this thing of like, they're just not going to address it at all. They're not going to address the fact that she's been gone for 10 episodes and they're just going to bring her back as though she's been here the whole time just because Carter has some shit going on and we need to like we need to have an expositional character here to bounce things off of him. And so I was very happy to see by the end of the uh, end of the scene that like they had figured, they were like, no, 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 we're going to address it. We're going to talk about it. But I really was like, Oh no, they're just going to bring her back and never mention it again. (sighs) 
Thankfully, your fears were unfounded. Yes, uh, but we go back to the trauma room where Malik is cleaning up Icicle Andy's body after he passed. Uh, turns out he had tickets to tonight's Blackhawks game. Pretty good seats, too. Uh, and Malik is all about it. And uh, Abby's like, you can't take those. Like, they could, you know, family could come and claim them. Like, you know, it's they're not yours. And Malik's like, he's not going to use them. And uh, Abby uh, compares it to grave robbing. So... Uh, we I then kind of, yeah. yeah, a little, a little bit. bit, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, Frank says that, uh, no one with Douglas's last name has checked in today. Maybe somebody dumped him there. So the search for Douglas's mom continues. Uh, we then see Richard stopping by to see Abby and they go over to Doc for a chat, right? Pull him out of the shadow realm. Why don't you, uh, turns out he I mean, it took him this far. It, it took him this long to get back to the show because they popped his tires. Ah, uh, yes. That's or true. tire. I know. I kind of wish that they had like put in a, cause she mentions like, Oh, is it the woman you were with at that fundraiser thing? And he's like, no, no, no. But I would, I wanted one little line that was like, yeah. And, and I had like four, all four of my tires went flat that night. It was weird. Like I just want some kind of like acknowledgement of that bit. Um, but yeah, he mentions that he's getting remarried. She is a teacher with a six year old son. And he says, uh, he always wanted kids, which you can just see written all over Abby's face. Just fucking kills her. Um, they do that. We do get a, a brief glimpse in the previously on of her confiding in Maggie that she got an abortion and it's, so it's clearly very painful for her and he didn't realize it was her birthday. Also an excellent bit of writing there that her mm. shitty inattentive ex-husband would not uh, know that it was her birthday. Um, they go to part ways and she m- turns around and mentions on her way out the door. I hope it works out this time. And it's like, why is he there? Like, because at first I was like thinking, is this a, you know, like I need you to sign the divorce papers so that I can go get married again. Doesn't seem to be the case. Like he doesn't really bring up anything. So it seems like their divorce is already finalized. So is it that he's just like looking for some kind of symbolic blessing or is it just like, he's just kind of gloating a little bit. It's kind of, I think the way he, the way you phrased it, it seems like he really just wants to, spare as much of her feelings as he can because it's it's a thing yeah i think he i think he was like in case this gets back to you i wanted you to hear it from me first i guess so yeah what i was shocked to discover was that this is our next to last appearance of richard like we are almost done we had one more yeah we have one more appearance of him um which uh is just crazy to me to think i think it's in early season nine i want to say um but like that's a character that like I, I knew he didn't hang around forever, but like I just thought there was more to it than that. It feels like he just showed up for the first time and now we're already getting ready to say goodbye to him. Fair enough. All right, but then we go back to we go over to Carter and Susan in the lounge. They're eating some Chinese food. Uh Carter hears something while they're eating. And it's really quiet like on the show audio too. And it turns out her Susan's jaw is clicking and kinda of teases teases her about it and smooches her right in front of abby as abby walks in and susan heads out awkwardly to check out a patient and carter apologizes for not telling abby says it's more about friendship and abby with the (laughs) wonderful comeback line well i've never seen you kiss frank like that somebody call angela i have a sticker idea (laughs) (laughs) i've never seen you kiss frank like that no carter and frank carter i I want anime style carter (laughs) and frank kissing on a sticker my God, she's she's got a queue about a mile wide for me on stuff I've asked her for. So let's not bug Angie anytime soon. Give her a break. 
Oh, boy. But I would pay good money for that. Oh, I, I'm so mad about this. Just like, he's like, oh, it's it's more friendship. Like, no. It's, it based should be. Off how you've been, it, it should, should be. be. Fine, whatever. But, um, like, based on how he's been acting with Susan, that is not a friendship thing. Based on how he presents it to Abby, of course he wants her to think that because there's still a little something there. But, like, nah, fam. This is this is where I have the issue with Susan and Carter. Not their pairing themselves, but how Carter handles it. Nah. It's not mm-hmm. great. I know. I know, Daniel. Uh, but then we see little boy Douglas is sitting out in chairs alone. Frank is nowhere to be seen. Abby offers to get him some food, but he uh, he's like, oh, my mom always told me fast food was bad for you. And she goes, well, the fast food in the hospital is specially designed to be nutritious. So she's going to get him some French fries. Uh, Frank then asks if he can have the hockey tickets if they find Douglas's mom. Cool. <laughs> Cool, cool, cool. Uh, I think I think her name is Meryl. This is the chest pain woman mm-hmm. is crashing. She's hypotensive. Frank says they Frank pops into the trauma and says they may have found Douglas's mom. She died a few hours ago um, with a stroke. That's what it meant to say, not a syringe, a stroke. <laughs> um, so that's not great. And Gallant and Luca managed to stabilize Meryl while they are having this discussion. Yeah, she came in with a brain bleed and then yep. stroked out in the neurosurgery. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and they can't get a number for Douglas's dad, but we retreated the mom, but she's working a half shift, so she isn't in yet. Uh, Douglas overhears Abby saying that his mom died, and, you know, kids not not older than 10. Yeah. So does not handle news of his mother dying particularly well after abby tells him after it does tries to do the thing like okay no this is what happened gives it to him straight yeah and i'm very sorry somebody yells away looking around running uh looking around for his mom Mm -hmm. and yelling so does this kid does this kid sufficiently pluck at the heartstrings enough lauren to avoid uh ending up on the list because there was definitely a point when I was l- watching this, particularly this scene where he's running around yelling at his mom and like, and maybe it, maybe a scene a little bit late, I think towards the end of the episode where uh, he wants to hang around with Abby. Like there was a moment where I was watching it where I was like, Lauren's going to just uh, eviscerate no, this small he, child. Like he was, he was fine. I left him alone because he's having a real fucking bad day. But there is one moment uh, later in the episode, if I remember to point it out, I will, because I did look at Lizzie and laugh because I'm a terrible person. <laughs> but um, no, he he was fine. Like, yeah, he was a little bit, um, I can't think, it's not precocious. I can't think of the right word. But um, Why can't I think of the word for this? The, you could tell potentially that this child actor was in fact a child actor ah. with how some of it was performed but um big theater kid that, energy potentially yes but no he does he does not make the shitty kids list he makes potentially the precocious children's list which is like a tear up that's but a, um a, yeah if i sm- if i remember i will tell you where i did laugh at him in this episode yeah. But see, you say the word, you say like child actor, and I'm, my brain immediately goes to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood to the little girl that's with uh, yes. Leo DiCaprio. I mean, same energy. Uh. I go to um, to extras where I believe it's Ian McKellen is like, blah, 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 acting. Like, just, mm. I'll have to show you that clip. Anyway. Anyway, uh, we find out Frank got a hold of Douglas's dad, and it turns out he is in Australia on a business trip. 
Uh, so early is track that down, right? Earliest he will, this is still early two thousands too. Like long distance calling is very much a thing. Like that's gotta be an expensive phone call. Um, that's the reason why, that's the reason why they can't hire more nurses because Frank is making Frank's call in Australia. Australia. Uh, social services will have to watch Douglas until dad can make it back sometime tomorrow. Uh, red eye flight tomorrow, I believe is the first thing they say he can get back. So not great. Uh, Gallant then comes up and asks uh, Abby if they can do psych transfers to other hospitals. And she's like, uh, I don't know what, you know, why? And he goes through the list of, you know, symptoms, whatever. And we, we start to get closer to the patient and we overhear a voice and it's a very familiar one. Holy fucking hey. shit. It's Paul Sobricki, y'all. Paul motherfucking Tiberius Sobricki. Uh, in the room where he murdered. In the room yeah. where the shit happened. <sighs> and he's... Where he murdered a Lucy. He's pleading with uh, the nurses uh, you know, who are in the room. He's like, I didn't want to come here. Can you please call my caseworker and move me to another room? And yeah, I wouldn't want to be in the room where I murdered somebody either. Might be a little awkward. I also want to note there is a through line this episode of Gallant coming to Abby for a bunch of different questions yeah. that comes into play later. It's very much um, one of those like it rhymes kind of moments because like you can definitely make the argument that Gallant is season one Carter and you can definitely sort of draw a parallel, especially at this point in time that Abby is season one Carol. And so like this is very much baby baby deer Carter going to nurse hathaway for everything and we're doing the same thing over again and not that i'm mad about it i'm not I, it's fine but it's just it's funny when you can see it you know kind of playing itself out the cycle repeats itself and then uh susan walks in hearing paul arguing with abby in security about putting him in restraints which yeah i get it i i it might uh, some might see, say it's an overreaction but i i get it yep He's being monitored for a conditional release uh, with his with a private psychiatrist. Uh, and Abby gives Susan a rundown about Paul and what happened. And Susan's like, wait, him? He? He's the one who stabbed Carter? <laughs> uh, we should transfer. And Abby rightfully is like, yeah, we should transfer him before Carter sees him. And Abby demands they transfer him. Uh, Susan says that he needs to stay and get a CT first because she said, I'm absolutely refuse under any circumstances to transfer someone who I think might have an intracranial bleed. I mean, I get where she's coming from. Like, yeah, I understand that Abby was there when Carter got stabbed. So she's going to have a bit more like emotional ties to this. But for Susan, she's just trying to be objective. Yeah. I mean, I understand where Susan's coming from. She wasn't there during the whole fiasco in her mind. She's looking at Paul as her patient. Hmm. And it's just like, no, in any circumstance, we wouldn't have this happen. Um, especially because right now Paul looks for lack of a better word. And I hate saying normal, but like he does not look like he would be a danger to anybody. Yeah. So of course to her, she's like him. Yeah. And in, in and like just, a, in like a vacuum, I think I agree. Like I'm, yeah. I'm glad that she treats him the way that she does. And like, she reacts the way that she does. But on a human level though, especially considering the fact right. that she's supposed to be Carter's girlfriend at this point. Yeah. And has talked to him about the stabbing incident and what an effect it had on him. And it caused him to, you know, go into drug addiction and all this yeah. other stuff. Like, I feel like she would have had a more personal connection. It just, it just goes to show that I don't think the writers put that much thought into the pairing of Carter and Susan. Like, the, I feel like if they did, this scene would make, would have played out differently and would make a lot more sense. But yeah. it's just, 
Yeah, like, but but again, in a vacuum, I'm glad that she treats him those shows. And I like, I I want to stress too how much I really love Abby in this episode. Like for 99% of it, like I I really love the way that she strongly like tries to advocate on Carter's behalf, even though they're just you know friends for lack of a better word. Like they're they're not you know it's not a romantic thing. It's just that she's looking out for her friend. Hmm. Though I will say a little bit later on, I do like some of the stuff that his um, caseworker slash psychiatrist does say. Yes, yeah. I just... she, she definitely can take it a little far at certain points. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then here's where, here's where my uh, Douglas moment comes in. Uh, Abby takes Douglas down to the morgue to see his mom and say goodbye. And they walk in and he goes, she looks like Snow White. Yeah, yeah that's a little on the nose. Like, that's a little... <laughs> It's a little bit over it's, over the line. Maybe a lot of it. Yep. I think he said I think it's that and then I think he says I drew you a picture or something, but either way he goes, kisses his mom, says goodbye, cute, whatever. But yeah, the she looks like Snow White line. I was just like, Are you got you gotta be fucking kidding Lord. me? Yeah. Um Lord. what what little boy is saying she looks like Snow White in two thousand two? Anyway, Lord, you can just uh, hear Karen, in the background, you can just hear a clicking pen as Lauren gets ready to add him to the list. Like she's just like <laughs> who says I didn't already on our break? Um, but then Carrie scolds Abby for taking Douglas down to the morgue. Says she could have, she should have called psych and social services right away and not been, you know, caring for this kid. And <laughs> Abby claps back. Advice you may have given yourself eighteen hours ago. <laughs> and <laughs> Carrie's <laughs> like, Carrie's like, she was off my service by then. She was up with neuro when this happened. And it's like, okay, Carrie, whatever. Um, Abby, of course, hasn't called social services yet because she doesn't want Douglas sitting in another strange place with strange people when he's already been through this for the past, you know, 12 hours. And we get a cute moment of Randy reading everybody's horoscopes. People aren't having it. Cool. Hi, Randy. Um, Carter then goes to work on the excuse patient that Abby has told him about in Sutures. And she then cuts him off and gives him a diarrhea patient instead. Because she's like, oh, you don't want sutures is blocked off because of blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, I can handle that. She's like, no, no, no. Go go deal with this person instead, please. Because <laughs> um, that's where they've put Paul. They have put him in sutures. And Susan is talking to Paul's caseworker. And Paul was stepped down to conditional release a few months ago based on good behavior and everything else. And Daniel, who plays the caseworker. He is played by actor Scott Bryce, who appeared in stuff like Murphy Brown, Deception, and a whole shitload of episodes of the uh, daily fucking soap opera TV series As the World Turns. Yeah, and I think this... Go ahead, sorry. He was in like 200 and some episodes, which means he was on the show for probably roughly like eight months. Yeah. I think this is where he um, advocates for Paul and says like, yeah, majority of people don't become violent and those that are violent offenders do not become violent again he is not a risk to you like stressing the fact that you know 95 percent of people with mental illness are not i'm sure it's higher than that but are not a danger and that often they are the victims mm-hmm. of violence i just want to stress it because we've got a platform and i just want to say majority of people with mental illness are not violent and are more likely to be victims of abuse rather than perpetrate it Sorry, just got to use my soapbox there for a minute. But then we ran, we see Mark working on a trauma. I have this in the notes because I must have thought it was going to be important, but I don't think anything comes of it. And 
Lizzie, what happens next? Um, Abby complains to the psychiatrist about Paul being released and denies that the restraints be removed. Um, apparently, and the, the psychiatrist is like, he needs reassurance and respect right now to which Abby is like, no, bro, fuck you. Like, like if, if there's one time I want, I would love to hear someone say shit or fuck on this show. <laughs> like, what this, the shit? Yeah, I mean, we've heard shit before, but like, but I just want Abby to say like, are you fucking kidding me right you now? Want the, you want the one PG-13 fuck. You want the... Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's it's prime, t- it's prime time TV. The right. kids should be in bed already. Absolutely. Uh, but Susan tells her to go help Gallant. This also feels like one of those moments where, again, it feels like Abby is inhabited a little bit by the ghost of uh, Carol Hathaway past and uh, Sam future, where she's yep. she's like stepping her bo- overstepping her bounds as a nurse ever so slightly here. It's like the nurse and the case or the doctor and the caseworker are having a discussion. Why is the nurse interjecting herself into that? Like. You're not a part of this. Like, I get that you might be emotionally involved. You were here when the original incident occurred, but you're also just not really involved in this conversation in any official capacity. Yeah. Also, don't let some of our listeners say that Sam is in any part of this behavior because mm. <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, but we go from there to back to uh, Meryl, the uh, chest pain patient. who She may need to be in the ICU for a few days. Uh, They still don't know if the fertility drugs are the cause. She's been trying to get pregnant uh, and thinks that she blew her chance because she uh, had an abortion a few years ago. And uh, she says that I only waited until I was ready so that I could be the best mother I could be. Aww. Uh, I mean, yeah, I get it. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, Chuni comes in, says Weaver is looking for Abby to call family services, Reed Douglas. uh, And Paul's psychiatrist talking with reference i'm his sure wife. makes sense to his wife but i want to know played... what the reference is <laughs> this has got to be a gilmore his... girls thing isn't it it is it's his wife is played by the woman who plays paris geller in gilmore girls i couldn't remember the wife's name i wasn't gonna put um mrs sabricki and i forgot the actress's name so i just put paris geller sure jake gets it yeah which is all it's important so does so does it. like half our discord at this point yeah uh yeah. I know I know what I'm about. But yes, yeah, so Paul's psychiatrist is talking with his wife. Yes, talking with Paul's wife. Abby sees them. Uh, she calls family services for Douglas and then gives Malik the tickets. So, And I love Malik's reaction to getting the tickets where he's just, like, he's so excited. And then he gives Abby a little peck on the cheek and then runs away. And it's just, man, I love Malik so much. And I just love. Geez. We, we stand a good like platonic uh, work friendship that like there's there's no romance there. It's just like a cute little like you've worked together so long that you're 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 at that level. And I'm just your bros. Right. Yeah. I'm here for that. All right. Uh, let's go to our next audio clip here. Uh, Abby's trying to distract Carter from seeing Stabby Mc, uh, murder face and Paris Geller. Abby, when you get a chance, I need a thick and thin smear into culture and curtain three. Yep. Oh, and your diarrhea patient was heme negative. Just a little PO challenge. So I sent him home with some emotion. Carter, I have a five-year-old with abdominal pain and I'm, I'm worried about intussusception. Is there any blood in the stool? No, but he had a palpable mass. Hey, sweetheart. Where's daddy? Hey. Hi. I'm okay. I'm okay. 
Daddy slipped and he fell and he hit his head. But I'm okay. And he put you in restraints. Yeah, it's just a precaution. They're a little paranoid. Oh, it's you. I'm sorry. Whatever, what's he doing here? He slipped and fell outside his office building. His office building? He's on conditional release. You're out. I'm better. I'm sorry. That wasn't me who did that to you. To your friend. You know that, right? You're a doctor. You know it's a disease. I'm being treated. I'm okay now. Glad you're okay. It's so good. It's so good. The look on Carter's face this whole fucking time, the look on his face when he recognizes Paul's voice, and that audio cue, yeah. A, is brilliant on its own, and B, the transition into Battle Flag. Like, mm. oh uh. my god. Quite possibly the, he goes, the best audio cue, I think, maybe... Certainly, I think, maybe to date and maybe in the entire show. I I love that moment. Like, I just... And, and then him going into the bathroom and, like, having his little, like, panic attack. And then throwing up. Right as the right as the, Which, the song ends and they go to commercial. Like, it's just... Oh, boy. It's so good. It's masterful. Yeah, hmm. the audio is fucking on point this episode. Yeah, it really is. All, on all cylinders. Really is. And I appreciate that Paul does, like try to oh, yeah. approach it as best he can because he's clearly fucking horrified right that he's like, like i do not want to be here these people all hate me like i've done a terrible thing here and like to face the man that he almost killed and whose whose friend he did kill yeah to be like fuck yeah i, I think this is like, like a, a pitch perfect way to bring a character like that back like i I feel like there would Mm be again like i've said in the past i think a lesser show would have um would have found it difficult to resist the temptation to not like bring him back and be scary crazy man but actually but it actually kind of turned him into like a sympathetic character at this point like yeah they, they really do a really good job of of showing the the nuance of it and while also showing the effect that it has on Carter being put in that situation again. Like, it's just, it's really, really well done. Yeah. I, I, sorry. I just love that sequence. It's very good. And again, we, we do not deserve, why can I never remember the actor's name? Bernard from Santa Claus. David Crumholtz. David Crumholtz. We do not deserve him. Um, but then we go over to Carrie and Sandy talking at the hockey game, which, whoa, Carrie's at a hockey game. Uh, Carrie says she's starting to understand the game but can't keep track of the puck. It's very cute to hear her different ideas and how they might make it more visible. But then she sees Malik and Susan walk walking by and panics and, like, turns into the concession stand or whatever to try and hide. Uh, Sandy realizes that she's not out and confronts her about it says she doesn't have time for this and that Carrie came on to her and it's not fair if she's not out. So Carrie's sitting here having flashbacks and just being like, fuck, not again. Um, so that's that's gonna... Who knows where that's gonna go? What's gonna happen there? But Malik and Susan don't see them, I believe. No, I can't they remember. do not. No, they, they don't, do not. yeah. Um, 
But then Douglas is talking to his dad on the phone. We learn that he'll be in town tomorrow and he's going to go live in L.A. with his dad, which Abby tells him he'll like L.A. So that's nice, I guess. I want to live in L.A. Eh. And then uh, Mrs. Paul Sabricki asks Abby to give Carter a note. And Abby's like, he should fucking give it to him himself, but okay. Um, and she tries to reassure Abby that Paul does in fact have a disease and is being treated successfully. Like that that really was not Paul who stabbed them like that it was incredibly out of character and he's being treated so it won't happen again hmm. i just want it to be warm year end that's that's all i want in life nope don't do it uh the car's in the lounge heading out for the day and abby gives him the note i uh, car says i guess you couldn't protect protect me from her. wait what from her because like she tried to protect him from paul all the episode and now she was like i didn't know if i should give you the note so guess you should guess you couldn't protect me from her either. Oh, okay, yes. Sorry, I just got a little confused there. Uh, she asked him if they want to go grab a bite, and he says he needs to get home. Oh, Carter. He's got a lot of things on his mind. A lot of shit going on. Uh, we then see Douglas uh, being taken away by social services, and this is about the point where I was like, all right, Lauren's going to learn that Lauren is warming Lauren's up the ballpoint. She is ready to add uh, because Douglas yells and screams that he wants to stay in the hospital instead of going with social services. He's like, I want to stay with you, Abby. And like it was the fact that he was like fully like just going for it. Like you said, like he's got a little bit of that child actor thing going on. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man, I was like, this kid is a borderline case. Like her her sympathetic side is going like, oh, he's having a really bad day and he's having a really hard childhood. And I feel bad for him. But on the other hand, I also hate his guts and I kind of, you know, want to like. <laughs> I, I also want to. I also want to mush his face into the mud. Like, he was not as cringy as some of the others we've had. Inside, inside of Lauren, there are two gay wolves, uh, both of which, <laughs> both of which dislike children. Uh, we then, <laughs> <laughs> we then see Gallant uh, coming up to ask Abby another question, and she finally just flips out on him and tells him no, that she's not an attending. And uh, basically, if you want to ask me to do nurse stuff, I'm happy to do nurse stuff, but I'm not your doctor. I'm not your attending. If you want to be a doctor, you should start acting like one. And it's a really, uh, you know, effective, you know, it gets the point across. I'm sorry that it has to come at the expense of, you know, young boy Gallant, but, you know, it's it needed to be said. Like he was sort of leaning on her a little bit too hard. Hello, we go to the uh, Green Corday household. Uh Mark knocks on Rachel's door, and we notice some inter- some fun posters in her room. Uh, there's a Linkin Park poster and a poster for the Green Day International Super Hits album. I would notice any Green Day posters anywhere. <laughs> uh, but he's rummaging through, rummaging through her stuff, and Fee finds a pack of cigarettes and a condom, and let's hear what happens when she catches him. What are you doing? Let's pick your stuff up. You're searching my room. It's a pigsty. It doesn't give you the right to go through my things. You mean these things? I can't believe you did this. Are you smoking now? I asked you a question. Hey, Rachel! Are these your cigarettes? I bought that pack like a month ago on a dare. A dare? To see if I could pass for 18. And the condoms, what kind of a dare is that? They gave those out in health class. And you decided to keep them? Wait, you'd rather I not have them? You need to stop lying Why? to me. Why? You don't believe me anyway. You search my room and go through my private things. I was looking for drugs. You said you're picking up. Who's lying now? You're right. 
The truth is, I was searching your room because I don't know if I can trust you. Then fine, believe whatever you want. I'm smoking, I'm on drugs, and I'm having sex. Lots of sex with lots of guys because I'm the school slut. You happy? Well, that went about as well as I could have, one could have any ever, yeah. Well, that went about as well as anyone could have ever expected. I mean, she, I'm just going to say for the cigarettes and the condoms, she has good excuses for both. Like passing them out in health class. Yeah, that totally would happen, especially at her age. Like that's when they started maybe giving them out in some schools. Not in mine. (laughs) I don't remember if mine mine did or not. Mine was very, we had like, I don't know. I don't remember. We had like the banana. We had like the banana condom demonstration, but I don't remember if they ever actually passed out condoms for us. Not like I would have needed them, but um, <laughs> two gay wolves. Don't forget two gay wolves. Uh, I nope, nope, not um, anyway. Uh, anyway, let's move on to our. But no, the cigarettes nope. on a dare totally could have been a thing. Like, yeah, I was trying to see if I could pass for eighteen. Fine. And also, excuse you, Daniel. I like boys, too. Thank you very much. That's one of the gay wolves. That's not gay if I'm a woman. Well, okay, I guess I'm, uh, yeah, gay. Two queer wolves, then. How about that? Fine, that's fine. I'm all around queer. I can deal with that one. But yeah, Rachel's obnoxious. Rachel can go on my shitty kids list, can she? Sure, yeah. She's she's a main character. She's a shitty shitty teenager by now. Okay, but she's... Still a, still a child by legal standards. Season eight, all the time. <laughs> okay, thank you. Carry on. All right. She can't be nominated because she'll win. But <laughs> anyway, let's go to our last audio clip here. Uh, Carter Carter's back at home. And he's wonder he's wondering where the heck the nurse is that he just hired. Yes, this is John Carter. I have a private duty nurse for my grandmother who was supposed to start today. She's not here. Yeah. I sent her home early. What? She was aggravating Millicent, so I sent her home early. She'll be back at 6 a.m. It's a 24-hour service. I'll get up if there's a problem. What are you doing? Pardon? I mean, show up unannounced, uninvited. Uninvited? And now you're making health care decisions? Your grandmother asked me to ask her to leave. I was trying to be helpful. Well, do me a favor. Don't try to be helpful. It's not one of your strong suits. Excuse me, John. I've had enough abuse from my mother-in-law today. I don't need any more from my son. I'm sorry? I'm sorry, but I have helped Gamma through this. I have tended to her medical needs. I have made her health care arrangements. So you need to consult with me before you do anything like this. Fine. Call them back. Yeah, you bet I will. But I'm not leaving this house. And I don't care if I'm uninvited. I'm not going to let your father break up this family. Family, huh? What family would that be? Don't be sarcastic. You checked out of this family 20 years ago. Excuse me, I'm going to bed. No, I'm not going to let you put some kind of revisionist spin on this with you as the injured party, no. Step aside. No, I got stabbed! I got stabbed in the back! Where the hell were you? You were the same place that you've been my entire life. You were someplace else. We came back. Three weeks later. We were stuck in Tokyo and you said you were fine. Well, I wasn't fine. I wasn't okay. Are you going to blame me for taking drugs? No, I am blaming you for not being my mother. Bobby died. And I lost a mother. I go to bed now.
Oof. I I love the part where he's like, I'm not going to let you put some revisionist history spin on this Mm -hmm. where you're the victim. I love it so much. More people need to hear that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Many, many more people in in this world need to hear that line delivered with the force that Noah Wiley is delivering. Particularly with that dynamic, too. Like a parent trying to, you know, not necessarily always in this in this same kind of like toxic level of toxicity but just like parents romanticizing their own children's upbringing and when yeah. when kids try to be like yeah that remember that thing that happened when i was like 10 that was really traumatizing and parents be like i don't remember it that way or ah, i was no big deal i we were all just oh hey look it's my mom yeah like you know like just you don't get to like put your spin on my experience like you don't get to i absolve yourself of guilt just to make yourself feel better i think the other semi-related thing people often need to hear is you're not always the main character yeah that's a big one um but yeah just like all of this this is i think some of noah wiley's best work Mm -hmm. in a while like just like oh you were in the same place you've been the past 20 years yeah it's really not here it's really surprising to me that she's not going to be around more than she is as a character because man like she's a perfect foil for him that she really brings out a lot in him as an actor like she really makes him step his game up a lot as an actor um I know I, I I tend to give Noah Wiley a lot of shit sometimes about his like dramatic big dramatic moment acting like he either tends this one's he, great he either tends to overdo it or he tends to underdo it and this was one of those times where he just like hit the, the he threaded the needle perfectly <laughs> he just did it yeah he just did it and he did it exactly where you needed him to be um, also the delivery where she's like can I go to my room now right like oh, like fucking role reversal. Like, she's the scared little child now, and, like, he's the, the domineering parent. Well, yeah, because he's a grown-ass man in her face, and right. she's probably never been talked to like that. And just her her whole, like, approach to this character, that the actress's approach to this whole character is so, like, I don't know, like, you're just, you're designed to hate her because she, she talks with that flat affectation like she puts like a wasp yeah she puts no emotion into anything she's saying everything she says is very waspy and it's just like they they really do a, an excellent job of of making her unlikable with very little backstory necessary and then when you get the backstory it's it's even worse but it's whew. and then the the going back to the music thing the music cue as we get to the end there as we're bleeding into the last scene is just gorgeous. Like I just, I love the music mm-hmm. as we bleed into the last scene. Uh, speaking yeah. of which, uh, Abby getting home from the cold front door is jammed. She, uh, the door suddenly opens and she runs into Christina Hendricks again, who is waiting out a fight on the uh, steps of the apartment just inside the door. This seems healthy. Uh, totally normal relationship. dynamic. Normal stuff. There. I wait on the steps outside my apartment building all the time. Just kidding. No, I don't. I mean, sometimes you do have to get away. Like, that's understandable. But when she says, oh, it'll be a half hour and he'll be asleep. Right. That's a level of that's avoidance. That's fucked up. That's a level of avoidance that is not healthy. Uh, we find out her husband is in law school. And as Lauren mentioned, she says, we had a fight. So I went to the store another half hour and he'll be asleep. And so she's making small talk with Abby as Abby checks her mail. And she offers Abby a beer on the stairs. And Abby at first tries to, like, be like, oh, no, thank you, I'm good. And then 
she kind of presses and is like, oh, it's fine. Like, you know, unwind. Like, I'm sure you had a long day. And especially once she finds out it's her birthday. And I would like to think that if I was an alcoholic uh, who had recovered, I would like to think that this is the way I would relapse to where it would just be too awkward and impolite for me not to accept the beer (laughs) so that I'm just going to like be like, okay, guess I'm an alcoholic again. Like, (laughs) guess I'm drinking again because this is too awkward for me to say no. Like, (laughs) Lord knows that's probably how it happened for me. Oh, God. And with the and and just this is another thing, like uh, other than really that brief moment with the. Uh, caseworker where she really oversteps her bounds and she's like no fuck that guy keep him in restraints and like blah 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 like and he's he's a dangerous animal and all that kind of shit other than that the other 99.9% of this episode is some of my favorite Abby work like mm-hmm. this is an Abby ass episode I love Abby in this episode and I, and I especially yeah. love her in this last scene here where you can just see the inner conflict on her face when she's trying to, when she's like, she's already taken the beer from Christina Hendrick, but she hasn't drunk from it yet. And you could just see that she's doing the like internal calculations and it's just like, but that, that alcoholism monster is also like in her brain and is, you know, got a real stronghold of her. It's just, and then the music on top of it, which somebody points out in the listener responses is a, a, a reused clip from the Bishop storyline. So mm-hmm. it's it just. Is. Like all that stuff mixed so together. Great, oh, it's oh, it's excellent. Yeah, that's one of the greatest things about Martin's music is that it is so multi-purpose. Like it's so you can easily apply it to so many different moments, and it feels authentic and it feels original. And I just th- this is an excellent episode for me. Like very few complaints. I would easily give it a nine out of ten. Yeah, that's about where I land. About a nine out of ten. Wow, you did that so smoothly into the rating part. I was like, oh damn, we're here already. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll give it 8.5. Yeah, it's a quick one. This was a very fast one. But in, but not, and, and like the pacing I don't think suffers from it. Like the pacing I, no. I think is is right on the mark, right where it needs to be. Um, it, you know, with the, the, all the, all the plots seem to work well with one another. There's not one plot in there that you go like, oh, this doesn't really belong. All, the only caveat to that maybe, Douglas. maybe be, no, not that I was, Douglas is fine. The only caveat to that maybe being the Chen scene. The Chen scene feels out of place. Okay, yeah. Like, cause, but I mean, you got to bring her, you, you got to bring start, her back somehow. Yeah, you, you do got to bring her back somehow. You got to start, start, you know, inching her way back into the door. But if there's anything there's one to scene grab, early in the episode. No, 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 for sure. It, it does not detract from the episode in any way. But if there's one scene in the episode that you could go, all right, maybe put that somewhere else or maybe put it in another episode, that might be the one. But otherwise, I love everything about this episode. It's one of my favorite, like, music-heavy episodes we've had in a long time. Like, just the music cues, both licensed and unlicensed, are just pitch perfect the whole way through. Agreed. All right. Lauren, what the listeners have to say about it? David L. says, I love the use of using the music that was played uh, when Carter and Lucy were both stabbed. Also, shame on Carter for not accepting Abby's offer at the end. When people both have bad days, they should do something together as a healthcare provider I know. Rodney C. says, they putting work in this episode, setting Abby up, setting up Abby to have a Mark-type role in the ER. As a side note, I swear Anthony Edwards is barely in the actual ER since Doug. So many episodes where his plot is outside the ER, rarely any big interactions with patients. He barely has any active relationships with any characters that started in season six up till now. And I never noticed this until this go around. Which, yeah, he's kind of dealing with the Elizabeth Corday syndrome right now. Oh, yeah. 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 He's very, like, very isolated. Kind of been, 
Yep, they've both kind of been isolated to their own shit. Uh, at Neela149 says, Eleanor sucks so much. I feel like rewatching has given me a more neutral view of characters I have hated in the past, but Carter's mom is actually the worst. Love the musical throwback when Carter saw Paul in the hall. <laughs> Paul in the hall. And poor Abby, that was one crappy birthday. I forgot this is when she relapsed. And last, but certainly not least, at Leah1989, two things. First of all, this episode hurts. Secondly, I know the use of Battle Flag is an excellent throwback, but the other top-notch musical touch for me is from the closing scene, when Abby arrives home and begins drinking again. The reuse of the score we heard in A Walk in the Woods where the bishop talked to Luca about losing one's way, with Abby here now losing her way in a very literal sense, talk about subtle depth. That musical connection is something I've always loved a lot. They just always nail it with those musical cues time after time. All right, well, that's fucking wrap up our episode for today. Thank y'all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. Speaking of which, a lot of people have been joining lately. Yeah, thank you all. Yeah, which, hell yeah, we love you guys. <laughs> uh, for only $1 a month, you can join them and get access to our show notes each week. How about for only $5 a month? You can get an assortment of stickers, including one featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, two-week early access to any future cast and crew interviews, and over 65 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes, a free-form monthly bonus show called The Lounge, movie reviews where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and character retrospectives where we reflect on departed main cast members. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and we are at Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Sign the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me on my Instagram at Lobo92345, where I occasionally post uh, shitty climbs that I've done, because apparently that's my personality now. There are worse things to revolve your personality around. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at RandomGamer. That's G-A-M-3-R. And thanks again, everyone. Yeah. And thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.